Hi, all. Welcome back to Untucked. On this week's episode, we are going to talk about the withdrawing from your assets in retirement and the traditional 4% rule. We are going to discuss the media and attention and focus on day trading that uh, is kind of happening now. And then we'll wrap it up with um, our thoughts and speculations around sports and what um, Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, and NFL are going to look like um, if and when they begin and resume their seasons. Enjoy. The opinions discussed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Welcome to episode 30 of Untucked. This is Megan. Mike. This is Jeff. We're back. <laughs> We're back. We are back. We're back in person as well. We're six line. feet apart. We sure. are. Yeah. So, beavers were once the size of black bears. Yeah, like... In the Northern Hemisphere, in the last ice age, they grew to eight feet long, 220 pounds. I think a black bear is way more than 220 pounds. I'm just sort of the last time I weighed on your fun fact. The last time I weighed a black bear, it was around 220. Okay. Um, Did the weight include the tail? Because aren't beaver's tails like super heavy? Yep. Eight feet long. And can you imagine if you came across an eight foot long beaver? No. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good fact. Cool. Um, let's punt on sports since we're going to talk about it later in the pod. Cool with that? I'm fine with that. So we'll get right into Coach's Corner. Rethinking retirement amid the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, this was an article written by Mary Beth Franklin in the Investment News and um, it basically talks about the uh, traditional rate from which you can withdraw money from your retirement accounts being 4%. And uh, the article talks about the idea that that percentage should likely be reconsidered for most retirees uh, because of recent market volatility, longer retirement horizons, yields rates, a lot of a lot of different things. So... Um, first off, Mary Beth, local gal, Delaware, Delaware County, born and raised. Yeah. Oh, shout yeah. out Mary Beth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think you have to rethink anything. This is like the, the biggest question that we get all the time. Like people come in and they're like, how much can I take? What percentage can I take from my investments? And I just don't think it's, first of all, there is no just flat answer. It's not like, oh, you can take 4% or you could take five. It's fluid, and I think 4% is a very reasonable starting rate. If you figure that stocks over the long run will do somewhere between 8 to 10%, bonds over the long run will do somewhere around, Mike will probably argue this, 5 then blend the two together. If you have a diversified portfolio, you could take 4 but you need to have a plan to deal with it in the years where the market doesn't go up. 
So I have a little little nitpick on what you just said because the Bond piece of it is just not you, you can't ignore the fact that bond yields are close to zero, which means that you can expect like if you buy a long term treasury bond, you know, you might get two percent. Well, here's my here's, so, here's my question to you on that, because you've been saying that for a while. Mm-hmm. Bond yields are low, but bonds aren't yielding in total their yield this yeah, year. The return component is part of it. Why and do you ignore that then? I'm not. I'm saying going forward, bond returns have they don't have a lot to return from here. They just don't. We had and it's one of the one of the nitpicks I have when we we do those like you know, if you invested X amount in 1980 in a diversified portfolio, the bonds would have returned to, to your point, the five or six or whatever it was. Stocks were, were did their thing. And you had this unbelievable performance on like kind of a heavy bond weighted portfolio. There was this ridiculous, like unprecedented bull market in bonds for three decades that isn't going to happen again. So you have to, I think, take that into account and say, all right, bonds, if the, if the bonds, and I'm talking about you know, high quality bonds, whether it's treasuries or high quality corporate, like the the best companies, not taking more risk by going high yield. I'm talking about like having you're gonna you're gonna get like maybe two, two and three out of that, out of that piece of it. So that means either you expect stocks to do much better. I don't know. I so I, I'm saying that I think the four percent thing should be maybe challenged. Um but I do agree with your your point that why revisit anything? Because if, if anyone's just looking at, okay, how much can I take from my investments? Cause I don't have anything else outside of that. That's the problem because like you can take 4%, but when markets are down, you shouldn't be taking anything from it if you can. And the only way you can do that is if you have another place to go for, whether it be cash or some other source of capital to sort of manage what's going on month to month, day to day, or week to week, year to year um, in the markets. So I don't, that's that's my my take on that. 4% is fine, but you can't, just, you can't just say, well, I have a million bucks and I have nothing else and I'm going to live off 40 grand a year. That doesn't work. I think 4% is a reasonable start. 4% or lower is a reasonable, reasonable starting place for anyone who's thinking about what percentage can they draw from their investments. Like if you tell me three, no problem. You tell me two, no problem. I think once you start getting above four, like based upon what you just said with with bond rates or bond total returns may not be, then yeah, you're gonna you you could run into a situation. But I'm, I agree with you a hundred percent. You have to have another place to go to. Um, I just I'm not as strict thinking with the bond future returns because I just we can't predict it, and I understand that the last two decades was probably the last or the best two decades bonds have ever seen because interest rates did nothing but go down. But we have no idea when they start going back up, what's going to happen with bonds. They may not total return two or three. They may do better than that. We just don't know. We can't predict it. I understand all the economics behind it. And rationally, if interest rates start to go back up, bonds we'll probably get two or three. But I mean, the market just came back and is positive for the year. No one saw that coming and we just can't predict it. And I think in the way that we do a lot of our planning, to your point, Mike, it's very much 
um, where do we go instead of your investments when there's volatility of any sort? So if your bonds, your stocks, your investments are down, you don't have to rely on those assets. And I think that's really the point of, point of the article, right? They're just talking about, okay, well, where else can you go to it, whether it's equity in your home, cash value of a life insurance policy, cash on the sidelines, things like that. So um, I think the contingency-based approach for us allows us to use that 4% rule as kind of a starting point, right? When we've just met a new uh, couple who are getting close to retirement and want to understand, hey, today, right? Not 10 years in the future, right now, what do you think our budget could look like or what could we afford to spend on A, B, and C? And I think for us to use the 4% rule at that point is just the, with the caveat like, hey, this is this is where we'll start. This is why we'll continue to engage and talk and figure out what's changed and what you need or don't need. Um, but I think for planners especially, it's at least at this point a fair starting point. Yeah, I think planners have to do a better job us included. I mean, we run these projections for people saying, well, if you live to 100 or 105, I mean, most, I know that a lot of people in this area are going to live very long, but there's a lot that we deal with that won't, that are going to die at 85. And you could stop them from using a lot of their money because we're, we're saving it so they don't run out. And I think what's happening is they're not living to 100. And I think we need to do a better job of that. Um, which is a fine line, right? Because if you... Yeah, that's that's hard. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I would say the number one thing people come in here and say is they don't want to be a burden, right, on their kids. They don't want there to be an expectation financially or otherwise that someone else is taking care of them. Why did they work so hard, save so much to, to not be able to use their own money? And the reality, we don't then talk about not being able to predict things. I mean, when people are going to die, it's impossible. Yeah. But that just shows how different every one individual situation is. Sure. It's like if a couple comes in and they're 65 and their parents both died at 70 and they both have heart disease, it's like, well, maybe 4% doesn't have to be the number. Maybe you can take a little more. Um, I'm just amazed at how many people just want that number. Hey, what can I take? And yeah. think it's just set it and forget it. And also how many people, as we've talked about before, that have just no clue how to calculate it. Like, yeah. I can take six because my investments get six. Wow. It doesn't work that way, man. And how just misunderstood they are when it comes to this. Right. And forgetting the fact that 10 years from now, the $60,000 of income that they need today is almost certainly going to be way more than that because of inflation. Uh, especially inflation and some of the things that retirees have to deal with, with healthcare, medical, um, travel, you know, the things that are deflating, which is what technology. Yeah. Not, not a big, not a big yeah. item. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, so, so yeah, that's, you're right, Jeff. I mean, the people that do their own spreadsheets, you look at it and you're like, Oh man, you're like, you need help. <laughs> yeah. Or the people who, who do the spreadsheet work that has them, living to call it 95 or whatever but like every last dollar is spent right and there's no like what if built into the plan it's that we spend the same amount every year there is no healthcare expense there is no gifting to a kid there is no i mean think of all of the big things that we get phone calls about on a regular basis like none of that is even considered 
So 4% goes out the window when you actually factor in like what people really need to spend their money on. It's so much more nuanced than here's the number on a monthly basis or an annual basis. I would probably say 1% of the people that we work with set the number at whatever the percentage is, whatever the dollar amount is, and that's all they need. Yeah. So there's always like, oh man, I was at the beach and I saw this boat and it's <laughs> awesome. You know, can I pull 25, 30 grand for that? Like, yeah, okay, you take 100 already. Now we're taking literally another 30%. Like, and they just, yeah. and that happens every year. Right. My kid needs help, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It's all that stuff. And yeah. most years it's okay because the market's up. So we can yeah. like take some profits. But, and I, I literally tell all of them, like, look, if this continues, uh, dude, it's, it's like I should create my own disclosure that like, you know, past performances and <laughs> like it's just if this continues, you're increasing the likelihood that you could possibly run out of money or have to lower your standard of living in the future. <laughs> disclosure. Good stuff. There's a lot of talk in, in kind of like the news generally, I guess, um, about trading like robin hood the trading platform um dave portnoy from barstool um there's just been a lot of i mean i don't even know how else to describe it like media hype if that's what we want to call it i gotta um, see the steam coming out of mike's ears that's why I'm this is i mean this subject has so many different aspects to it i mean i could i we could do a whole hour on this but we'll we'll start somewhere and go from there yeah where do you want to start do you want to start with Portnoy, do we think that well, kind of yeah. like lead starts the story? Can, can you give me like the backstory? Like what when you talk about Robin Hood, like what are you what are you talking about? Well, let me start with Dave Portnoy, who's the CEO of Barstool. So, um, at like white once COVID happened and you know sports and gambling were effectively shut down, uh, Dave decided to I like reprise his E Trade account. And he put however much money into it and is essentially day trading. And not only is he doing it, he's filming it. He's tweeting about it. He's very, very public about what he's doing. And it's gained a ton of traction, as anything Barstool probably would. Um, but what it's it's kind of led to is Robinhood, this uh, free trading app, has seen a huge increase in number of users and a lot of people trying to kind of emulate what Portnoy's doing. So that's maybe like the highest level of of what's going on. And this has been happening for, I don't know, probably like four to six weeks in like, like as magnified as we've seen it. Yeah, so Portnoy is, um, obviously he's very public and sarcastic and and braggadocious about his daily profits and losses mm-hmm. and he's you know he's calling out warren buffett as you know he's just doing a lot of shtick and it is just shtick to to produce and and put out content so that he gets more followers he has a million and a half i think twitter followers and you know that business model is clicks and eyeballs and ad revenue and he's dramatically helping the business of barstool by doing it it's mm-hmm. the only reason he's doing it However, I think he's doing, I mean, I'll, I'll put my like morality hat on. He's doing a real disservice to his fans, which are typically young males yeah. um, who are in droves, you know, opening up Robin Hood or Schwab or, or Ameritrade accounts and trading themselves. And a lot of these guys are people that used to gamble on sports that can't do it anymore. So a lot of the thing is that people sitting at home, they can't gamble anymore. So they're 
they're turning to the markets and gambling aggressively mostly and by the way it's robin hood it's been around for a few years and it was kind of it got a lot of funding and was really like okay free trading they, they were free trading bef- before. before schwab and all the others went to zero there um, but it's also specifically targeted at i'm going to call it millennials for lack of a better word <laughs> um and the way that the model works is they they generate revenue in really only two ways they sell the order flow to market makers which is not new which every broker dealer does uh, and it's not evil and it's not bad it's literally paying them for supplying the service that they do which is providing liquidity which is critical to having markets function the and and the firestorm directed at that whole part of it is ridiculous because it's just uninformed idiots who don't know understand how that business works and then the other way that they generate revenue is on interest spread so you deposit cash they pay you nothing on it and they lend it out at whatever percent well nowadays it's almost zero percent so they're not making any money there but forget about robin hood for a second the like the the stats on the number of trades that are being executed on daily basis from all the online brokers is incredible however but but then the financial industry is mad they're mad at robin hood they're mad at portnoy they're mad at all the retail investors that are you know, trading up all these stocks that should be literally going to zero. Hertz is a great example of one. Um, and that's actually a fascinating side story to this, which we can maybe talk about in a minute too. But the Robin Hood, the free advertising that Robin Hood has gotten out of this oh whole process is like astonishing. So they don't, they, they don't have to spend a dime on marketing. <laughs> they're, they're the talk of the industry. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, Robin Hood. And it's like, and meanwhile, they account for like, a minuscule percentage of the volume and of the actual like capital that's flowing around on a daily basis. I mean, these, these are people, the average account size is 2000 bucks. These are people that are putting you know, a few hundred bucks in or a few thousand bucks in and just gambling with it. You know, they're, they're, they're taking gonna a lose. flyer. They're going to lose it. And, and most of the business is options, which as we all know, or we, we I'll, I'll tell you, it's people buying out of the money calls or out of the money puts, making a very, very unlikely bet that will pay off nicely if you if it wins, but 99% of the time they expire worthless. So, you know, the professionals are loving it because they're getting to basically like trade against that flow, which is profitable for them and they, and good for them. You know, you, all these idiots show up and give away their money. Well, I'd love to be on the other side of those trades. So um, I think it's a shame because I think a lot of people are gonna learn hard lessons. However, maybe there's a silver lining because I think that and I went through this. I mean, a lot of people, when they're younger, they start, they, they want to trade. They want to invest in stocks. They want some, make maybe some home runs, some grand slams, whatever. And then they, you learn that it's a very hard game to, to win for almost anyone over the long term. And then you, you end up just putting your money in an index funds and calling it a day. So right. maybe it's going to accelerate the education process for a lot of people. Or it's going to deter these people who were against the markets and Wall Street's a, a casino. They're gonna they're gonna dip their toe in. They're gonna buy Hertz at fifteen. Hertz is gonna go to zero, and they're like, "Dude, I'm done. I'm out." I knew I knew it was a I knew it was a casino. I knew it was a joke. I knew it was rigged. That's true too, because it's a casino now more than ever in the sense that it's just a bunch of people showing up and putting it on black. Right. Now. Right. Um, or whatever. Or actually, worse, they're putting it on the number two. <laughs> right. <laughs> With way less probability. Of- yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with the your thought, Mike. I think that like the the education component, whether it's from, uh, you know, if I don't know if I want to give Portnoy all that credit, 
but like the idea that people are understanding how markets work now, not typical by any any means, but um, I think that as especially there's so many statistics about how millennials like are not invested in the stock market and aren't participating like this. This is good. I think it's it's more good than not. Um, I agree that there's probably a couple people who will be like, oh, I'm never doing again. But when we're talking about hundreds of dollars, like the consequences just aren't that big. Um, so I feel like, okay, if it's trial by fire, it's trial by, like, that's how they're going to Yeah, work. and that, that reminds me too. I've read a bunch of idiotic statements that have, that, that say things like, well, the market's up now because solely oh, yeah, because yeah. of like Robin Hood day traders that are propping up. How ridiculous is that? This is somebody buying, you know, 10 shares of Hertz at $5, right. putting 50 bucks in. <laughs> it's not moving anything. And and um, speaking of Hertz, it's one of the most hilarious stories is going to, I mean, I, I know the stock was halted today for news. I don't know what that is, but oh. so Hertz declares bankruptcy. Uh, the stock goes to something like 50 cents a share. Um, and in bankruptcy, the creditors get paid first. And the equity holders, if there's anything left, get paid last. That's why the stock was at 50 cents. It's basically like a really cheap call option that there's going to be any semblance of any money left for, for equity holders. Likely none, because most bankruptcies are equity is wiped out totally. In Hertz's case, they have, I think the number was like $3 billion of bonds outstanding, and they were being priced at 40 cents on the dollar. That means the market thinks that the creditors of those, um, the creditors are going to get one point you know, two billion of the three back, and the the one point eight is wiped out. Goes away. So if that bankruptcy happens in that way, that's what happens. They have to eat one point eight billion dollars loss, and the company's worth nothing. Gets restructured, reorganized, or whatever. So all these Robin Hooders, I'll call them, see the Hertz at fifty cents, and and the low price stocks attract all the speculators yep. and all because yep. it's a it's a huge gamble that you and look you can buy i'll buy a thousand shares i'll put 500 bucks in and hey if, if things turn around and maybe like and it goes up to five or ten i'm gonna that's like that's a nice nice killing there so that's what happened and the stock goes up to five bucks hertz turns around and says shit we're gonna we're gonna sell some stock in in the open market they filed a sell i think a billion a billion dollars worth of stock basically because they're like our stock is worthless the Market is telling us they could they'll, they'll buy it at five. Like, why wouldn't we right. raise some money to help in the Pay bankruptcy the proce- yeah. process? Well, if you go back to the numbers, if they sell a billion dollars worth of stock and all the Robin Hooders buy it up, they just took a billion dollars from the collective Robin Hood community and gave it to the creditors, and still the equity's worth zero. Like, I think they disclosed it, and they did. And they they told it. They said worthless, worthless, worthless. Like the the uh, the filing was couldn't be more clear. It's it's in the middle of the controversy right now. Like I'm not sure what's happening with it. I think the stock's down to two bucks, but it's insane how like mispriced that equity is. Yeah, given what's what the reality is and what the world knows, what any professional knows about a company going through bankruptcy. But due to that incredible, like, and I can't imagine the amount of people who have like the collective. 22 year olds who are sitting on their couch and can't bet on the um you know the game anymore and they're just like let's let's throw a few bucks towards hertz what's the big you know what's the big deal <laughs> and maybe that's not bad i don't know but it's just insane it's it, insane it's insane because you don't know shit about hertz and to have that limited knowledge and to place money on something is insane to me 
Like, isn't that gambling? But no, but you can. I can go. To, I don't know shit about gambling, but I know roulette. I can bet red or black. It's brainless, dude. Right. Okay, and I got a fifty percent chance it might come up. Right. Okay. Um. Or like or, people, or, oh, or like a football game. Eagles are playing Dallas. I mean, I know a little bit about the Eagles. Not much. I know a little bit, but <laughs> it's still you get a 50-50 chance. Like, and it's enjoyable. I can't believe. Like, why is Hertz at fifty cents? Why did it go to two? Okay, I'm going to buy it now at two dollars because I heard De- Portnoy tell me to do it. Like, that's ridiculous and idiotic. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I. I don't argue that. I just it's unprecedented. And it's it's entertaining, sort of, and. It's wild. Like, I just, I continue to read these headlines and I'm like, oh my God, it's still happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing that all of the biases that we talk about and how much literature is out there about it, about investing biases, and they just keep happening and happening. No one is learning. Well, no, I mean, these these guys, people, humans, they're not, <laughs> they're not thinking about like their investment biases. They're not thinking about, oh, what this could mean for me in my retirement. They're like, <laughs> we just have to, oh, although shit. there was one story about some, some kid who put like, I don't know, $30,000 into it, oh which God. was all he had. And he's like, ah, I've got to take the flyer. I got to, you know, I got to, got to go all in. <laughs> or yeah, that was his quote. And you're just like, you know, you deserve to lose every penny. Dude. You do. You, know? you do. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I hate the – like, this is not at all – this has nothing at all to do with investing. This is pure entertainment and yes. pure gambling and pure that, which is fun for a lot of people. And yeah. I get that. But, like, when they start to – that's why the, the financial community is so mad. They're mad at Robin Hood. They're mad at this all this stuff going on because they, they just – because it bleeds over into their world and they see how, like, idiotic it is. But call it what it is. It's just the – it's the gambling part of of – Wall Street, which yeah. is, has nothing to do with you know what we do or what we right. talk about every day. And I would argue that to a certain extent, this has always existed, not yeah. in the in the way that we're seeing it right now. But we had a call with a potential client yesterday who, in I mean, I don't know how many times he said like, "I like this. I like trading. I like having you know an account where I can make changes on my own." So. And he he's a millionaire at 37 or something like an incredibly successful guy, very smart, but like finds this appealing. So while it's not driven by, you know, Hertz being bankrupt and what the stock price could do on a day to day basis, it's still the idea that I want to control the decision making and I want to see positive results. What's funny about it is like it. Like the last time this really happened in a big way, like with a bunch of, you know, I'm like, I don't want to call them amateurs, but just people that never did this before was back in the dot com craze. So people were just opening up E Trade accounts at the time and buying shares of internet related companies that were not bankrupt yet. They're, they're going to be, but they at least were operating and they were, there was maybe the promise of something huge pets.com, the globe.com, all the ones that, flamed and went to zero now people are doing the same thing but these are companies that are already bankrupt yeah <laughs> like it's already even, bankrupt it's, it's crazy you know <laughs> i was at this is completely this is a complete tangent i was at my nephew's graduation from haverford high school now it, it was all virtual um the all the principals came by in the buses and delivered the diplomas to each graduating senior but during all the speeches 
they're talking, everybody's giving a speech and they're talking about this generation. Like, oh my gosh, like what you've had to endure, um, you know, 9-11, the dot-com bubble bursting, this pandemic, like we feel so bad for you. Like I look at my sister-in-law, my nephew's uh, mom, and she's like, I think this generation is the problem. Like everything was fine until they came along. Let's just wipe them all out and the world will be a better place. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, they had to deal. Like, so did we. We were alive through all this crap too. <laughs> I think these people deserve to lose their money following freaking, what's his name? Dave Portnoy. Dave Portnoy. I mean, he's just a guy that tries pizza and and and, and um, publicizes, publishes? What's the word? Publicizes. Posts, <laughs> videos of college kids doing stupid shit. Like, why would you ever think this guy has any financial background or advantage over anyone? Do you think that think... he has, he bears some, because of how he's talking about how easy this is and how much he's posted screenshots of how much money he made today? Do you think, do you think he's like culpable for any of this? I don't. No. Okay. No, I don't. I mean, every single thing he says, and I believe it's in his Twitter bio, and I'm going to look. Um, like, don't follow me. I'm not a financial. I think he says advisor <laughs> right, or something. Right, right. I don't know anything about stocks. Um, yeah. Do you think I'm it's, not a financial advisor. Don't trust anything I say about stocks. Do you think it's it's real? Like, do you, do you think he's just showing you his profits and not showing you his losses? No, he's showing the real. I think he's, he's showing the real thing. Okay. He has bad days, and he gets all pissed off and gotcha. stuff. But, um What's his average annual it's, return? <laughs> I mean, to me, this is exactly the same. I feel the same way about people who put money in these things or buy out of the money call options. It's people who gamble a lot, like gamble too much on on sports and are addicted to it because of the same for all the same reasons. And I don't know what to say about it other than like you got to get your shit together and not, you know, it's it's fine to do it a little bit. And by the way, we talk about that a lot too. Like certain clients are. Whomever says I want to have a little play account, that's mm -hmm. totally fine. Just yeah. don't make it like, imp like impactful to you yeah. financially if you lose it all. That's all. That's all I got. Yeah. Good. Holy Mike rant, dude. <laughs> Sports. <laughs> um, so there's been a lot of talk recently. Um, coming out of the major sports leagues, specifically MLB, NBA, and NHL, about what their seasons. Uh, for the NBA and NHL, what their seasons would look like if they resume. And then for Major League Baseball, um, will they even have a season? Uh, and then obviously there's been a ton of other sporting events. I would say the Olympics probably being the, the biggest one canceled for the year. Um, spectators likely aren't going to be in-house for anything that resumes. Um, so the next however long is going to look a lot different for people who watch, enjoy, and um, bet on <laughs> sports. What are you guys like thinking, feeling, hearing? Well, baseball, you know my feeling there. <laughs> um, I mean, I can watch paint dry in lockdown. <laughs> I don't need to watch a professional baseball game. <laughs> Um, so it's like really America's pastime, and he hates Which it. Also, it doesn't make sense. Why is it America's pastime? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, it stinks. Yeah, so I, I don't, I don't even have anything to say about baseball. Um, obviously, my interest is in the NHL, and they're they're certainly moving forward with a lot of detailed plans. They have a, a, a structure for a playoff and training camp schedule. I think to 
officially start in July if everything's good and the players have to vote and agree to move forward. Um, I really, I mean, of course, like selfishly, uh, I mean, there'd be like three games a day. Yeah. Just it would be like March Madness for hockey, which for me is like awesome. Nothing. So I and I don't care about no fans. Um, you could you could arguably get much better camera angles in there. You could get like audio from what's going on on the ice. They'd have to have a delay, I guess. But still, I don't care at all about no fans. And maybe they'll do like the fake crowd noise or whatever. I don't care about whether they do that or not either. I I would just like to have give me the audio. Um, give me some cool camera angles as well, and I'll watch every game. I mean, there's been, there's been plenty of hockey played in front of nobody. I mean, some of the cities like Florida, there's way more empty seats than people anyway. Yeah. And um, some of the overseas tournaments like the World Juniors and the Olympics, they're played – some of the, like, beginning games are played in front of pretty much empty buildings and doesn't detract from, you know, my viewing experience. So I'm hoping it happens. It doesn't detract from your viewing experience, but you've heard athletes talk about how, like, when a when a building is dead or empty, they don't like it. I mean, think about football, right? Like, yeah. Deshaun Jackson catches an eighty-yard touchdown pass, <laughs> right? Gets up because he fell in the end zone, and like, they always like look to the crowd and like try to. Pump. There's gonna be no one there. That'd be weird. So you think there'll be no celebrations like that because <laughs> they'll feel weird about it. I think. They probably wouldn't celebrate. Just run back to your squad and like high five and you know. I don't know. You, I think you talk about playoffs, especially with basketball and ba- and hockey. You, there's no way they're not going to be at full intensity level. There's just no way. There's too, there's too much at stake. It's what they play for. And yeah, would they rather have fans? But no one's going to say I'm not playing because there's no fans. They should definitely play with or without fans. I'm just concerned about like Joel and B doing the old, like pump the crowd up. You'd have, you'd have no one there, Joel. Like what would yeah, you do? But what, you know, like they'll all know where like the main camera is and they'll be doing it to the camera. <laughs> you know? right. This plan does not bode well for the Sixers. I mean, they have lo- they're It's obviously not going to be in Philly. They stink away from the Wells Fargo center. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to, for the same reasons you just described, Mike, just to be able to watch basketball again the NBA plans do include the ability for the players not playing. So everything's going to be happening on location in Orlando, like Disney resorts. And they're going to allow the players who are not playing to attend games. So to think about Joel Embiid, he's going to be at his trash talking (laughs) epitome just l- watching the other teams play. He's not even on the court. And he's That's crazy. I didn't know that. That's people. crazy. Yeah. So there's, I mean, I don't know. I don't care about fans as like a, a spectator, like a viewer. I don't think it's going to change anything. I would love mic'd up players. I think it's, I mean, sometimes, you know, you do that now. They'll mic someone up and. There's a lot of bleeps, so I'm not sure like how that works for for normal television. But um, I think the drama with the NBA now is that there's like a big disagreement as to whether or not the players want to come back. Um, and I, I so I just don't know if that's going to even. Happen. Well, Ben Simmons still isn't healthy enough to come back. No, he is. And I heard his back is still giving him problems. From who, dude? Uh, Ninety-four WIP. Yeah. So. <laughs> Are you trust what the Sixers say? That's a good point <laughs> and a very fair point. But yeah, I mean, on paper, 
should be like the most healthy line of the six years. Yeah, no doubt. I think like what you just mentioned about if it's all in Orlando for the for the NBA and the other players who aren't playing, like the Sixers can go watch the Knicks. Like Knicks won't be there, dude. But but (laughs) these organizations they can find ways. They're smart. They can find ways like that to make it entertaining. Yeah. Without fans, I mean, and, and and absolutely, and grab people that maybe wouldn't necessarily watch. Be like, oh man, you got it. Like all the players are in the stands and they're all jawing at the at the other players, and they can hear them because there's no one else in this. Like you can find a way. The NBA, the NFL, the NHL, they can find a way to make it super entertaining without fans. Just like lock yourselves in a room, smart guys, and figure it out. I hope so. So if we go to next season. And assuming that this the COVID's no longer a threat and everything is operating, do you think that any of the sports have any major changes to their the way that they operate as a result of what they're going to do now, or is it just back to the way it was? I think like anything else, right? Like during this whole thing with our company, we've realized that wow, you can work from home. A lot if we really wanted to and maybe that will happen i think as they as they try new things with um airing and and recording their sporting events they're going to find things that actually really work that work really well and they'll probably implement moving forward yeah um i mean if covid and you're saying like if it's gone completely like it's not a concern anymore yeah like, I guess I'm getting back to the audio portion. I've always thought yeah. that that's such a missing element of watching a sporting event, whether it's live or on TV. It's like yeah. it's, stuff gets drowned out by the noise. But that, that would be just awesome to be that able to be hear awesome. all that banter. I think the players' associations are against it because if somebody says something inappropriate, then they get that they're Canceled. done. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah. probably what's going to hold it back for, for me, plus all the, the F bombs and stuff like that. But. I would love it if they could figure out a way to have more audio on ice or on court audio that was being like broadcast. Yeah. So maybe that, maybe that'll happen. I mean, has anybody talked about what's going on with the WNBA season? They're coming back. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. They have a very like, I mean, their season already is super short. They have an even shorter season that I think is slated to start sometime in late July. Gotcha. The U.S. Open, the tennis tournament, is happening. It's I think it's a Labor Day weekend tournament. It's happening on schedule. No fans. Did anyone watch the golf tournament this past weekend with no fans? No. I watched a little bit, unfortunately. How, how was it? It was cool. I, again, I think on, on TV, especially in golf, like fans mean literally nothing. Because they're not allowed to say anything. No, they're not allowed to say anything or do anything. And it's not the, you know, waste management open in Phoenix where there's right. hammered people on the, right. like, on the hill drunk. So no. All they do is get in the way sometimes when a ball is, like, going out of bounds. So, like, with all the – so, I know football is obviously fall, and that's not the imminent thing that we're dealing with here. But if you have col- – because colleges are changing their plans, like, weekly in terms of the virtual, the limits on – you know, class sizes and stuff like that. And if that's the way it, it goes, how can they have like a college football stadium full of anybody? Like, are they, they can't. Right. So, I mean, do you think football is just, you lump football in with the same things like a fanless football games are going to happen? Well, 
that's college football is a little different because in the in the NFL or the M, or the NBA, you can take those players and you can relocate them to Orlando, and they're not allowed to leave. Yeah, these kids are supposed to be going to school. They're supposed yeah. to be in classrooms with a hundred other people. I mean, they're not quarantined. So, so uh, yeah, so college football could be like at the biggest risk to not happen because of that, unless they can have enough tests because you need as it stands today you need 48 hours to get test results of a true covid test so they test them on on thursday Mm -hmm. saturday morning you guys are all good to play you can go play i mean maybe they do something like that and no fans yeah but then i mean even no fans you just think about all of the the people that are required to operate that facility you know what i mean like the the employees of these schools that have to be there beyond the players and the coaches and yeah. the refs. Like, That's one of the biggest logistical challenges yeah, for it. Because opening it up. If you don't have a hub where everything happens. Like they want it right. Yeah. Well, again, if you can get everyone tested, you know, you get the, the refreshment. Well, you don't need refreshment people, yeah. but the audio people and the, and the refs and everybody tested two, two days before. Again, they then have to quarantine for two days Yeah. to make sure they don't pick it up in those two days. It's a logistical nightmare. I don't know how it's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And NFL is, I mean, kind of the same in the sense that what do you, you can't operate we'll have a cure football by, games out we'll, of like we'll two, cure, We'll have a places. cure by then. We'll be, we'll be good. We'll be <laughs> cure by the start of the NFL season, but not the college football season. <laughs> I, I think, um, well, and they were also talking about one of the big things with the baseball disagreement is like, how late into the fall they're recommending they do or don't play. So why is that not being talked about with football too? I'm assuming it's not being talked about with basketball and hockey because it's inside. But they're talking about there being some sort of second wave in the fall and not extending the season like into typically October. Like football goes to February. Yeah, I mean (laughs) – all, all good points. <laughs> I'm not following. So one of the like one of the points that P, I guess the players' association and the owners are discussing in the bargaining agreement for the Major League Baseball is that health officials are saying or are encouraging that they don't extend their season as late into the fall as they typically would. And I guess I'm just because unsh- they're afraid of a resurgence yes. in the fall, and then having to travel, be around gotcha. other teams. I guess I'm just not sh- understanding why that's a thing for baseball, but not for football, yeah. which goes through the fall completely. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. Anything more on that? No. Good. Top five. Top five. Multi-generational. Multi-generational, talented families. Family people. Yeah, yeah. Not limited to sports, right? No. It's correct. Whatever. Okay. I only have I'll... one sports. Really? Yeah. I'll give you mine. Go ahead. Right. Coming in at number five are the Coppolas. Francis Ford, the legendary director. Yeah. Godfather and a bunch of others. Yeah. Um. Daughter, I believe, is Sophia, who's director of, of um, some award-winning film, and I'm blanking on it. Okay. Talia Shire is also a sister. You know, Adrian from Rocky. No way. Oh, yep. wow. Yep. She's Francis Ford Coppola's sister? Or somebody's sister. She's one of the Coppola's <laughs> sisters. We're talking about families. No, she's a sister of 
I'm not sure it's exactly him or it might be like, I mean, is she his age? I don't know. Anyway, she's a relative, a direct <laughs> okay. relative. All right. I know um, where you're going direct relatives. Families. Yeah. Families. Um, okay. All right. As long so, as there's top and bottom. I mean, I, I look kind <laughs> of an impressive <laughs> family from a, you know, it's, it's no sure. fluke. You got to be able to. Don't know throw the other guy in that, in that mix. No, I'm not. Okay. No, I'm not. <laughs> what? Who? Nick, Nick Cage. Yeah, no, I didn't. he's not. I don't count. He's him. a Coppola. He's a, he's he, like did his he marry nephew into or it or something. I don't know, but he's a horrible actor. I don't, I, he's ah. I, I'm with you. I'm not a fan. I don't. I'm not huh, I think he's like his his nephew or something like that. I don't think he married it. I think he's okay. blind. All right. Oh. Um, at number four, I got the Mannings. You okay. know, Archie, Eli, and Peyton. Yeah. Um, you can't deny that's like they're NFL quarterbacks. I mean, yeah. three of them. Like Super Bowl winning, yeah, all three yeah. of them. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's it's insane when you think about it. Um, yeah, not as insane as my other three. Uh, I got three at number three: the Douglases, Kirk and Michael. Oh yeah, uh-huh. I looked it up. Kirk's got ninety-five films to his credit. Michael at sixty-four. Kirk was like a stud, legendary, like multi-decade actor in Spartacus and a number yeah. of others, right? Yeah. Lived to 103. He just died. Oh, my God. Damn. Yeah. I didn't know he's that old. And then, you know, Michael's got like a, re- a great resume of mm-hmm. films, Dude. right? Was Fatal Attraction? Yeah. And, yeah. and Wall Street and all the others. Yeah, that's, a, yeah. that's a good one. It's a good pull. Um, number two, I got the Griffies. Okay. Kenny, okay. Senior, and Junior. Um, you may not know Senior, three-time All-Star. Um, a 300 career hitter. I love how he got stats. <laughs> and junior, 600 plus homers and just an absolute beast. I mean, unquestionable. And, yeah. And I'm giving a baseball. <laughs> yeah. You know, good, good for you, credit. man. Good for you. And number one, you guys are not going to really. Uh, the Halls are just. Brett Hall like and his father, Bobby. Hall of Famers, both of them. <laughs> yeah, both of them. Two, they're in the Hall of freaking fame. It's crazy. It, I mean, Brett's like in the top. Maybe five or ten all time in scoring. Bobby's up there, like just studs. So I think that's. I don't know if you can find another Hall of Fame father son duo in any sport. Can you? I mean, you put me on a spot, but I. I can, <laughs> <laughs> right. can be your next one. Guys. All right, no, that's my list. That's a good one, man. Yeah, Very that's good. a good one. You want to go? You want me to go? Um, I also had the Mannings. That was my only overlap, and also the only sports I included. Um. I put, and this is not politically like at political at all, but like to have two pre- like father son presidents. I mean, yeah, George I consider, yeah, Bush, George W. Bush and Bush. Bush. Uh, <laughs> I just kind of that deal. is insane. I mean, when you think about it, yeah, has that ever I, happened I, before? I, I looked it so. up. It was like John Quincy Adams and someone else. So like early, early. <laughs> what are you gonna say? No, no, go ahead. I'll I'll comment after. Um, I have, so this is partially because I'm a little bit obsessed with her right now. Zoe Kravitz is the daughter of Lisa Bonet and Lenny Kravitz. And like, it's just like a very attractive family, very (laughs) talented family. She did, um, a reprise of High Fidelity on Hulu, like a series, which was really good. Didn't she do like Big Little Lies? Yeah. 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 But I just finished High Fidelity, which is why I was kind of into that um martin sheen charlie sheen mm. and emilio estevez oh yeah that's a good great one. one it's yeah. a great one they're just prolific like i was just googling like their imdbs yeah. they're in everything everything and they were all awesome yeah yeah 
Mine are out of order, by the way. Like this one is not like number one, but um, Judd Apatow and his wife Leslie Mann have two daughters who are like Maud and Iris who are in a bunch of stuff. And he's obviously prolific. Yeah. Leslie Mann's in everything. So that's my that's good list. list. Okay. All right. I have to eliminate one. All right. I'll start with um, the Earnhardts, Ralph Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt, and Dale Jr., all successful race car drivers. I don't have any stats on them, Mike. I've never heard of Ralph. <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah. He was dad. Obviously, we wouldn't have heard of him. He was like Grandpa. 150 years ago. <laughs> um, John Voigt. And daughter Angelina Jolie. Okay. Mm. Not a huge okay. fan of either. Yeah, so. I'm. I'm like on the talent scale. Like that's where that's where it falls John off Boyd's, for me. Really? Yeah. John Boyd's very talented. <laughs> but but Angelina's his, his daughter is freaking smoking. Well, yeah. I mean, really? Yeah, she's hot. She was. I just feel like she's kind of like. Scary-ish now. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with the Sutherlands. Donald Sutherland and Keith. Okay. I'm going to go with Buddy, Rob, and Rex Ryan. Wow. Oh Three NFL Just coaches. Coaches? Sure. All right. Doesn't matter that they're good or bad. No, no. Okay. <laughs> Not at all. And then uh, Jerry and Ben Stiller. R.I.P. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry was just hysterical and his son is i mean i can't believe how ben's actually like i'm a he's he doesn't get enough credit like the stuff that he picks to do is mm-hmm. always on like it's a, always a winner he doesn't do shitty he doesn't make bad choices like he did that night at a museum which is like a kid's movie mm-hmm. and it's like laugh out like as an adult i'm laughing <laughs> yeah. out loud yeah that's a good one mm-hmm. i think mike's i think mike's list was the best okay that was Jeff. That was tough. I got the I got, the, got the, award the award for the week. <laughs> right. Okay, good. Good stuff. Thanks for uh, listening, right. everybody. Bye. Talk to you later. <laughs>